Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hey, it's Ty Smith of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Adam Bokris. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltadors. Hey, it's Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hi, I'm Dominic Fox. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Oaks Oilers. It's Joe Bryan. Hi, it's Barrett Hayden of the Sioux Greyhounds. Brady Kachuk from the Boston University Terriers. Major Junior. In the 100th year of the Memorial Cup, the Ankeny Panthers T-Tall have won it for the first time. NCAA. Face-off, 50-50, that's it. Minnesota Nice. Minnesota Duluth, national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. The Buffalo Sabres are proud to select Frolunda defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. And more. Oh, yes! Oh, my goodness. We're not going home yet, baby! This is the Pipeline Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Pipeline Show. It's uh, great to have you on board once again. If you're a returning listener, if you're new to the program, then welcome to this episode of the Pipeline Show. Hope you'll be back for more. We always start with the question of the day, which, of course, is brought to you by the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, through Game 4. Of the first round of the WHL playoffs, they are locked in battle with the Medicine Hat Tigers. And after those four games, the series is tied 2-2. Let's be honest, if you've watched any of these games, uh, like I have, being a color analyst on the Oil King broadcast, and putting my homer hat aside, Edmonton dominated three of these games. The uh, Medicine Hat Tigers have a fantastic goaltender. You may have heard of him. His name is Mad Sogard. He was unbelievable in game one. The Tigers stole that victory by a score of 2-1. Then Edmonton really controlled uh, Game 2, and somehow Medicine had still got three goals in that game. They were not uh, textbook goals by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Edmonton uh, won Game 2 by a score of 4-3. Game 3 was the one that uh, the Oil Kings really struggled in, and you got to credit Medicine Hat for uh, uh, playing a very good game at home, their first home game of the playoffs. They won that game 5-0. And uh, Game 4, the Oil Kings uh, dominated once again, uh, but took forever before they could finally get a goal past uh, Mad Sogard. They did, and then they started coming in. Uh, 5-1 was the final in that contest, so it's all tied up 2-2. Game 5 goes tomorrow night, that's Friday night, March 29th, in downtown Edmonton at Rogers Place. Myself, Andrew Peard, will be uh, on the air. On TSN 1260, uh, bringing you the action of that game. If you don't like us, you can always listen to the uh, man, the myth, the legend himself, Bob Ridley, the uh, voice of the Medicine Hat Tigers. He's been calling games for the Tigers since uh, before I was born. As a matter of fact, today, March 28th, is my birthday. I turned 48 today. He's been calling games. This is his 49th year behind the mic of the Tigers. Uh, It's absolutely unbelievable. And we've been talking to Bob because... For those of you, I think most people know who Bob Ridley is, or at least junior hockey people. There were long stretches in his career where he was not just a play-by-play guy, also the bus driver for the team. If you if you don't know Bob's story, you should Google it. There are lots of articles written about uh, about Rids. But we were just talking about it uh, before game two, and I asked him like the the longest trip he ever had to do, where he drove the team to from one rank to or from one town to another called the game, and then drove to the next town, what the longest trip was. He told me it was like 26 hours. Uh, I fr- I'm trying to remember where he said it was. It, it, it may have been um, 
from one road team to Portland and then back to uh, Medicine Hat that night. So uh, I don't remember where they, where they started. But he said it was like 26 hours. Also told a story. Uh, one night he was so tired. And keep in mind, this is like the, they had no co-pilots back then. Things are much different now in terms of uh, you know regulating how much time a guy can be behind the wheel, things like that. But he, he told me, he was uh, going into Spokane. I've never been, but apparently the one of the entrances to Spokane is a big hill. So you go down a big hill into Spokane. He says he cannot remember uh, going down the hill uh, for on one of those trips. I, I come home after a game that I was uh, broadcasting, and I'm kind of tired. I, c- I could not imagine having to drive six or seven hours to get to a game, then call a game for four hours. Uh, well, you know, you don't call the game for a full four hours, but you you do the setup and then you do all the pregame stuff. Um, it's it's a lot more than just the two and a, two hours plus two and a half hours that you're actually on the air. Anyway, then you climb back onto the bus. Everybody else goes to sleep except you because you have to drive the bus to the next town. So uh, Bob Rids, abs, uh, Bob Ridley, Rids is an absolute legend. So if you're not listening to Andrew and I on Friday night, uh, I completely understand if you want to uh, listen to uh, Rids' call. Anyway, the question of the day, it's going to be a heavy college show today uh, because of the NCAA tournament. We're going to be previewing all the regionals uh, today. Last week, it was the CHL playoffs. So last week, it was all CHL. This week, it's uh, going to be all NCAA. But the uh, question of the day is reflective of that. I put it out on Twitter yesterday. For Every year since 2006, one of the top-ranked teams, you, know, you have four regionals with seeds one to four. At least one of the number one seeds every year since 2006 has been knocked out in the first round. Nobody predicts it, ever. Nobody is looking at the four number one ranked teams this year, the number one seeds this year, and are saying, well, they're going to get bounced out in the first round. But it seems to happen every year. So the question that I put out on Twitter is, of these four teams, which one is it most likely to be this year if the trend continues? Those uh, number one seeds this year are St. Cloud State, uh, Massachusetts, that's UMass, Massachusetts. I've been butchering the word Massachusetts all week. Uh, you'll hear that actually when we're talking about the, that team a little bit later on in the show. Um, so you have St. Cloud State, Massachusetts, Minnesota State, and the University of Minnesota Duluth. So of those four teams, which one is most likely to get bounced in the first round? You can let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore gee is where you can find me on twitter give me a follow if you're not following already let's get to the news and notes that this is the portion of the show where i will uh be updating you on the chl playoffs Uh, we'll start in the ontario hockey league two series are complete in the first round the ottawa 67 swept the uh, hamilton bulldogs the sudbury wolves also moving on via sweep over the mississauga steelheads those both in the OHL's Eastern Conference. Uh, the other Eastern Conference series are both 2-1. Niagara leads North Bay 2-1. And the Oshawa Generals lead the Peterborough Peets 2-1. In the OHL's Western Conference, three series could go uh, end tonight in a sweep. The London Knights are up 3-0 on Windsor. Saginaw 3-0 ahead of the Sarnia Sting. And the Guelph Storm uh, have been taken into the Kitchener Rangers. They're up 3-0. The other series in the West is the Sioux Greyhounds and the Owen Sound Attack. That series is 3-1 in favor of the Greyhounds. Uh, And I'm just checking to see if uh, Game 5 of that series goes tonight. It does not. They play again on Friday. The leading scorer 
Right now in the OHL playoffs, there's two guys. Evan Bouchard, defenseman with the London Knights, Edmonton Oilers prospect, and uh, of the Guelph Storm, Nate Schnarr. Love that name. Nate Schnarr. Both of them have uh, nine points so far. Barrett Hayton, Morgan Frost with eight points, and Owen Tippett uh, has seven points for the Saginaw Spirit. That's the uh, picture in the OHL. In the queue, only one series ended in a sweep, which is not what people expected. Ramuski gets by Shikudmi by a, uh, a 4 nothing margin in a sweep. The other series is uh, still going on. How about this? Roy Naranda, the number one ranked team in the Canadian Hockey League, they are tied with Shawinigan 2-2. And Game 5 goes Friday in Shawinigan. Games 6 and 7 will be in uh, Roy Naranda. So the Huskies still have the advantage there. Boy, that's uh, quite the scare. Shawinigan has uh, put into Roy Naranda so far. The other series, uh, Gatineau trails 3-1 to the Drummondville Voltageurs. Victoriaville and Valdora tied two games apiece. The Quebec Rampart, well, they uh, got out to a 2-0 series lead in their series against the Memorial Cup host Halifax Mooseheads. The Mooseheads did win game three by a score of 3-1. That one in Quebec. Get this, the Rampart won both games one and two in Halifax. The next three are in Quebec, including game four, which goes tonight. Uh, the uh, Rempar could theoretically wrap up the series on Saturday at home if they were able to win tonight and Saturday. Lots of hockey still to be played in that series, though. Uh, Bay Como and uh, the Moncton Wildcats are tied two games apiece, as are Charlottetown and Cape Breton. The uh, leading scorer in the playoffs in the queue, Samuel Poulin of the Sherbrooke Phoenix, followed closely by Mitchell Balmas from Cape Breton, Alexi Lafreniere of Ramuski, and Felix Robert from Sherbrooke. All three of those guys have eight points. Samuel Harvey in net for Roy Naranda has a buck 59 goals against average. Out here in the Western Hockey League, two series are done, and it also sets up the second round for these two teams. The Prince Albert Raiders get past the Red Deer Rebels in a sweep, so they move on. They will face Saskatoon in the second round as the Blades dispatch the Moose Jaw Warriors in uh, four consecutive games as well. Of note, uh, when the Oil Kings game was over yesterday, I switched over to that game, the Saskatoon Blades and the Moose Jaw Warriors, because they were going into overtime. And uh, so I was listening to um, Les Lazarus call that game, and at the end of it, they, it uh, ends fairly early in overtime. The, the Blades are victorious, everybody is celebrating, and then uh, apparently, according to Les, Tim Hunter didn't come out for the handshake. Everybody gets a talkie. It's tradition. You all meet at center ice and shake hands and uh, congratulate each other on a hard-fought series, wish the next, the other the winning team best of luck. Uh, but head coach uh, Tim Hunter apparently went straight down the dressing room, uh, the tunnel to the dressing room, did not take part in that, and that got some reaction from fans on Twitter last night, and I think probably deservedly so. Don't like to see that. Elsewhere in the WHL, uh, sticking in the East, I told you Edmonton and Medicine Hat are tied 2-2. The Lethbridge Hurricanes are up 2-1 on the Calgary Hitmen. Game four of that series goes tonight in Cowtown. Lethbridge, it's been a home series as uh, Lethbridge won the first two games at home. Calgary winning game three by a score of 5-3. Again, game four going tonight. In the WHL's Western Conference, the Vancouver Giants are having a tough time with the Seattle Thunderbirds. They've been trading wins going back and forth 
Uh, they are through four games. It's tied 2-2. Game five goes uh, Friday night in Vancouver. Also a tight series between Victoria and Kamloops. Uh, that series is, is tied 2-2. Victoria uh, winning game one in game three. The uh, Blazers winning game two in overtime, 4-3. The final in that one. And then uh, doubling up Victoria, 6-3. On Wednesday, the Everett Silvertips uh, won the first two games at home, but Tri-City uh, went to overtime and uh, took game three, so they are back in the series. It's uh, 2-1 with game four going tonight. And the Spokane Chiefs are one win away from eliminating the Portland Winterhawks. The Chiefs took game one. Portland won the second game, that one in Spokane, but the uh, Chiefs winning games three and four, both of them going to overtime in Portland. They have a chance to wrap it up on Saturday. Game 5 is in Spokane. The uh, leading scorers in the WHL playoffs right now, Davis Kosh of the Vancouver Giants, former Edmonton Oil King, has 7 points and a bunch of guys with 6, including Brandon Hagel of the Red Deer Rebels, who has now done his WHL uh, career. I assume uh, he is signed with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, they signed him as a free agent. After a 102-point season, actually, they signed him very early on this season. I think it was back in, like, November. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, joins their American Hockey League affiliate. Uh, Josh Patterson from Portland. Martin Fasco-Rudas uh, of the Everett Silvertips and Riley Woods all have uh, six points. Woods plays for Spokane. The uh, top netminder right now, at least for goals against average, Todd Scott of the Edmonton Oil Kings with a, a 154 goals against. He's only played the one game, though. Uh, Ian Scott and Nolan Meyer uh, lead the way for the starters. Ian Scott with a buck 75 goals against average. Uh, one note out of college hockey, the finalists announced for the 2019 Mike Richter Award, that for top goaltender in the NCAA. Your candidates are Andrew Shortridge of Quinnipiac, Caden Primo of uh, Northeastern, Jake Kiley from the Golden Knights of Clarkson, Joey Decord, the uh, Ottawa Senators prospect. He plays for Arizona State and Hunter Shepard, netminer with Minnesota Duluth. And this is actually a pretty interesting uh, contest. I don't think there is a clear-cut answer to this one. If you go by minutes played, it's Hunter Shepard. If you go by who had the most wins, it's Jake Kiley. Who's got the best goals against average? Well, that's Andrew Shortridge. Top save percentage, also Shortridge. Most shutouts, well, that's Joey Decord. And who had the most saves over the year? That's Caden Primo. So all five guys really uh, leading uh, one of those uh, statistical categories. For me, Andrew Shortridge, when you look at minutes played, he uh, only played maybe two-thirds as many uh, games as uh, the other four goaltenders. So that might take him out of it. You look at saves, he had 570. Everybody else is uh, way, like almost twice as much as that. So that might take him out of the running. And the two categories that he was leading, goals against average and uh, save percentage, well, then the goals against average would be Hunter Shepard with Jake Kiley right there as well, buck 87 and 189, uh, respectively. And the save percentage would then become uh, Caden Primo. So it really doesn't, you just remove Andrew Shortridge from consideration. It's still a pretty clouded picture between the four. Maybe you can let me know on Twitter who you think. That deserves the 2019 Mike Richter Award. And as for the Hobie Baker Award, as a, the top player in college hockey, they're down to 10. Here are your 10 finalists. Uh, Joseph Duzak of Mercyhurst, Adam Fox from Harvard, 
Ataro Hirose, Canadian, uh, from uh, Michigan State. Quinn Hughes of the University of Michigan. Mason Yopst of Ohio State. Kale McCarr, Canadian, with the uh, Massachusetts Minutemen. Patrick Newell from St. Cloud State. Chase Prisky uh, from Quinnipiac. Jimmy Schultz from uh, St. Cloud. And Nico Sturm out of uh, Clarkson. Those are your uh, 10 finalists. I think most people expect both Adam Fox and Kale McCarr to be in the uh, Hobie Hattrick. Not sure who the third would be. Uh, quite honestly, uh, the guy I'm picking, uh, maybe Taro Hirose, just because he led the NCAA in scoring. Uh, I, I think uh, Kale McCarr gets my vote as a Hobie Baker uh, winner this year, but I uh, do not actually get a vote, so take it for what it's worth. Let's get to the guest list. Here's what's coming down the pipe today. We're going to preview all four NCAA regionals. We're going to start with the Northeast Regional, that one being played in Manchester, New Hampshire. Dave Hendrickson from USCHO will be my guest. Then we'll go to the uh, West Regional, that one being held in Fargo, North Dakota. Dave Starman from CBS, uh, from CBS Sports Network and uh, ESPN. He's our guide to that regional. Both of those start on Friday. The two that begin on Saturday... That's the East Regional in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO will uh, set the stage for that regional, and we'll finish it with the Midwest Regional. Nothing says Midwest like Allentown, Pennsylvania. Adam Woden from College Hockey News will put a cap on the show today by looking at the four teams playing in that regional. So all of that coming up on the show today. Should mention the uh, sponsor. Obviously, it's going to be a heavy uh, NCAA show so college hockey inc is the sponsor for the ncaa campus report this entire show is going to be basically a giant ncaa campus report so keep college hockey inc in mind if you are a player or you have a player in your family and you need to know what you can what you can't do to maintain your ncaa eligibility it's a great resource that website get in contact with uh, mike snee or nate ewell they can answer a lot of the questions that you might have about uh, playing NCAA Division One or Division Three hockey. We'll start it off with Dave Hendrickson from USCHO looking at the Northeast Regional featuring Massachusetts, Harvard, Notre Dame, and Clarkson. That starts the show off next. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. McKechnie won it, left half boards, McCarr skates down the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots, and Took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are hosting their first ever playoff series at Rogers Place. Round one continues this Friday night. The Central Division champion Oil Kings go toe-to-toe with the Medicine Hat Tigers. Don't miss a moment of the chase for WHL supremacy. The WHL playoffs are back in Edmonton. Edmonton Oil Kings, Medicine Hat Tigers, Game 5, Friday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $21 a seat for a single game ticket. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca.
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. This is The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, we're going to start off the NCAA National Tournament Preview Show by looking at the uh, Northeast Regional. And uh, to help me set up the uh, set the stage for what we're going to uh, see in that bracket or that, that portion of the bracket, we're going to bring in uh, Dave Hendrickson, a newcomer to the Pipeline Show. Dave Hendrickson writes for USCHO.com. Welcome to the program, Dave. How are things? Uh, doing great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you today. Uh, all right, let's get right to the hockey. Harvard taking on Massachusetts, Notre Dame, and Clarkson. Let's start with the, the Harvard and uh, UMass game. Uh, and on paper, at least to me, from the outside looking in, this seems heavily favored to be a, a Massachusetts uh, game. Uh, they score more. They give up fewer goals. Uh, special teams pretty much, well, the power play is pretty much uh, dead even. Uh, but UMass has a much better penalty kill as well. Uh, when I mean, they are the number one ranked team. Tell me about UMass coming into the uh, to the region, uh, into the uh, national tournament. Really, the only thing, a negative, would be inexperience. Uh, how do you see uh, Massachusetts right now? Yeah, well, you know, when you mentioned their lack of experience, that could be a little bit as being their only downfall. That could be a little bit like saying, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like the play? <laughs> because as you mentioned, they, they really hold a, a, an advantage in pretty much every area, although both, both Harvard and uh, actually Harvard and Massachusetts are, are kind of the two top power plays in the, in the country. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Harvard defers to nobody in that respect, but, Experience is a factor. Uh, I know that um, uh, Greg Carville talked about uh, how that turned out to be a factor in the Hockey East semifinal game where they lost to an extremely experienced team, Boston College, that had had a much worse season. Um, They really felt as though maybe their eyes were a little too wide open and uh, and that they really – um, they didn't handle the big stage all that well. So uh, in from his perspective, he's happy that there's just a um, one-week turnaround. They've learned their lesson, and so now they're going to have to go and, and kind of apply those lessons and, and you know, let the experience um, uh, negative actually um, put that behind them and let, the, um, let their important factors move forward. I mean, they, they are a team that – I think where we've talked about both teams having great power plays. What what is significant in that particular matchup, I believe, is that Massachusetts also has a terrific penalty kill. They got the number four penalty kill in the country. Mm-hmm. Harvard's penalty kill. It's astonishing that a team with the 49th ranked penalty kill in the country made the tournament. And so um, you have to go and figure when UMass goes on the power play. Um, that's a point where you really get on the edge of your seat and figure that's where it's going to be a game-changing time. And that uh, one of the guys to watch for if that happens is Kale McCarr, who's uh, one of the Hobie Baker finalists, maybe a favorite to come away with that award. Uh, a Canadian who played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, which is in the province that I live in. Also, so is Matt Murray, uh, the netminder for UMass. So a lot of local interest here in following uh, how the Minutemen make out this season. What do you make of the goaltender battle? Uh, in this game between uh, Massachusetts and Harvard? Well, the one thing to point out is that Matt Murray is not a lock to uh, to start in this game, even though he's a sophomore and he's kind of played about two-thirds of the of the games. Uh, Philip uh, Lindbergh actually got the nod in the uh, Hockey East uh, semifinal game, wow. and he played well. And if you look at his, his statistics, his statistics are better than Murray's. Uh, but you do kind of wonder, well, given the fact the team 
struggle a little bit with experience. Do you want to go with a guy who's at least a sophomore over a freshman? Um, in terms of talking to Greg Carvel, he just said, we're going to go and see which, uh, which guy we like the best over, uh, over how he's practiced this week and who has the best mindset. So wow. don't count on, um, don't count on Matt Murray getting the, the start because that's, uh, that could go either way. Um, you know, as for, uh, as for the defensive end, I, I think really the, the thing to know and point out is that both teams, you mentioned, uh, Kale McCarr, uh, mm-hmm. from, um, from, uh, Harvard's standpoint, Adam Fox is also, uh, an extremely elite defenseman. I mean, that both of them are like top 10 in the country in scoring. And so, um, so as a result, uh, they're going to go and, and lead their, uh, their kind of, offense from the defense. And then in terms of the, the goaltending, um, you know, you can go and look at uh, Michael Lackey, the, the senior for, uh, uh, for Harvard and say, well, you know, uh, I think that could be a really good matchup, but I do think UMass is the, is the better defensive team. And, um, but that, you know, again, it all depends on how, how the team shows up. Well, I didn't forget about Adam Fox. I was going to uh, ask you about him oh. in a second, but uh, I mean, this is a guy, whether it's McCarr or Fox, I mean, they might be the top two favorites uh, to come away uh, with the Hobie Baker Award uh, this year. Overall, look at Harvard's team and give me a, a reason why they can beat Massachusetts. Well, you know, I, I think that there is the uh, there is the experience factor, and um, and you know, again, if you have two teams that are top two teams in the country in the power play, then a lot may depend on who's going into the box and, and really who comes out of the game uh, or how, who comes out in the first period and kind of establishes themselves. Given the fact that perhaps UMass might have a little bit of the big game jitters, uh, even look at their, their first round in, in the hockey's tournament. They, it took them uh, double overtime to beat, um, to beat New Hampshire in their first game. Next game they came out, they felt they kind of had their legs underneath themselves and they won easily six to nothing. So I think it will help UMass a lot if they can come out strong in the first period. Um, and it, but if they don't, then, then it could come down to a matter of, you know, which team is playing better in the defensive zone, which team is, is really capitalizing on their opportunities. Dave Hendrickson from USCHO, my guest here on the pipeline show as we, uh, Set up the national tournament, uh, and we're looking at the Northeast Regional in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, let's get to the uh, Notre Dame and Clarkson game. And again, on paper, I guess Clarkson would be considered to be the favorite, although Notre Dame uh, has the experience having gone to the Frozen Four last year and the national title game. Yep, but not only that experience, but they've, they've won the uh, Big Ten uh, back-to-back years. Uh, you know, they had to... They really had to uh, come up with a great performance against Penn State to even get into the tournament. Now, they actually became the number three seed in this particular bracket by uh, by virtue of their performance, but it was a, a win-or-go-home game against Penn State in the Big Ten Championship, and um, Penn State was a formidable uh, opponent there. So, um, and, and actually in that particular game, I think Penn State might have outshot them, not quite two to one, but, but quite a bit, kind of forced Notre Dame into a little bit more of a wide open style than what they wanted. So I think Notre Dame certainly has the experience and in a coach like Jeff Jackson, they've, they've got a guy who knows what it takes to win a national championship. I think their particular style, if they can force their particular style as being a very, uh, defensive oriented, 
uh, style, then they can, um, um, you know, they can they can beat almost anybody. Um, now Clarkson, they're they're also a terrific defensive team. So, um, but I do think Clarkson certainly had the better season this year. But um, you know, I think it's one of those cases where once again, um, you know, experience versus uh, versus maybe a bit of an edge in talent. I might like uh, Clarkson's edge in talent just a little bit, but you're having you're 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 having a, a matchup between two teams that are coming off of winning their their tournament championship so um so clarkson beat harvard in the ecac championship and notre dame beat penn state so both teams are are going into this tournament on a high both teams strong defensive teams um you know once again i mentioned the penalty kill for harvard notre dame's penalty kill is a little surprising that only 29th in the country whereas uh you know uh, clarkson's is is much better than that so you know, lots of times it comes down to goaltending and special teams, and we'll see how that works out. Yeah, Clarkson scoring over three goals a game and uh, only allowing, well, just a share, a hair under two goals against uh, as well. So on paper, that's an advantage for Clarkson. How do you see the goaltending matchup between the two clubs? Yeah, you know that both of them, both of them have uh, strong goaltending, and I think it, you know it'll be um, it'll it'll be the case where you had Kale Morris who was. Uh, terrific for uh, for Notre Dame this year, um, and then you have um, uh, you have uh, Jake Kiley from uh, uh, from Clarkson. So um, and and you know both of them. If you go and look at their statistics, they're they're terrific goaltenders. Um, you know, right around uh, nine thirty for uh, for their save percentage. So mm-hmm. this will be a a really good defensive matchup. Uh, you know, I think certainly as you just pointed out. Clarkson has the better offense. Notre Dame may have to be a little bit more opportunistic because um, they aren't as good of an offensive team as the one that got to the Frozen Four, got to the championship game last year. Um, they'll need to be a little bit more opportunistic because from a talent perspective, they don't have as much from uh, from their their team offense. And in fact, actually, um, they're, they're another team that its leading scorer is a defenseman. I think we've got a real uh, oddity in that Clarkson's the only team in this particular bracket whose leading scorer is actually a forward. But, you know, that's that's a bit of an upset. So, um, but Notre Dame in general is a lot more limited in its scoring, and so I think um, I think Kylie comes, you know, on paper has the advantage because he's a terrific goaltending but goaltender, and presumably he won't be facing as tough of a uh, uh, firepower. Um, offense as uh, as his uh, counterpart in the Notre Dame men. That's really interesting that the three of the teams in this re- in this bracket in this region have uh, are being led by uh, defensemen. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on that before. Since two thousand and six, there's been one of the number one seeds has uh, been knocked out of the national tournament in the first round. Uh, I, I don't think anybody is expecting that to happen. Although I don't think anybody was expecting it to happen last year, or the year before, or the year before that happened twice actually last year. Uh, this year, the four number one uh, ranked teams in their respective regions are St. Cloud, UMass, Minnesota State, and Minnesota Duluth. If it were to happen this year, Dave, uh, which of those four teams would you expect it, uh, that it could be? Well, the, the obvious choice would be UMass, just because they've never been there before. Not used to the big stage, and they're they're facing some tough tough competition. But uh, I'm going to be a little bit of a hockey'st homer here, and I'm I'm going to go and uh, give UMass uh, uh, the credit that they're going to come through. And I'm going to go and say Minnesota State could have a tough uh, a tough challenge because 
they're in their first round, they're facing Providence in Providence. Mm-hmm. And so they've got that a little bit going against them. And Providence is a really good uh, defensive playoff type uh, type team. So I think they're, they're the one team that, that is facing a really Minnesota state. So really facing a tough first round opponent. And then uh, Cornell and Northeastern, I, I like Northeastern a lot. And so, uh, I think that's going to be a tough bracket for them, for them for them to emerge from. So even though if if you were to force me to put money on it, I would say, well, UMass is the obvious candidate to get upset because of the experience factor. Uh, my hockey East homerism is going to force me to go and say it's Minnesota State. Excellent, Dave. Listen, I appreciate your time. Enjoy the hockey this weekend. Oh, I, I don't think I'd be able to unenjoy it. So uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. That's Dave Hendrickson with uh, USCHO covering the Northeast Regional. Uh, I guess I can, uh, as I go to break at the end of each of these segments, maybe I'll give you my uh, bracket um, and how I've predicted it. I'm interested to see and hear yours, so uh, I'm going to put my note on Twitter. I hope that you will do the same. I've got Massachusetts uh, beating Harvard, and again, I apologize to everybody that's hearing this and hearing me say Massachusetts over and over. It's not Massachusetts. It's Massachusetts. My bad. When I was editing that segment, I was horrified by how poorly I pronounced the uh, mispronounced the name of that state. So my apologies to everybody. Uh, and I, just mental note: I'm gonna have to uh, check myself every time I say Massachusetts. I hope I'm not the only one that uh, has that issue. Anyway, so I have uh, UMass, the Minutemen, advancing past Harvard, and, and I have them playing Notre Dame. Uh, to beat uh, Clarkson, and then I have uh, UMass getting to the Frozen Four. That's my bracket. Tell me yours. Uh, Up next, one of my favorites when I'm talking college hockey, Dave Starman from CBS Sports Network. He is coming up next. We're going to look at the West Regional, St. Cloud, American International, Ohio State, and Denver in the spotlight next. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Sean takes a look. A shot oh takes a my! And it's deflected in by Ryan Paling. A shot spotted him, set him up for the redirect, and it's now 4-1 St. Cloud State. Hey, it's Ryan Paling from St. Cloud State University, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With Gee Flaming. Who? Back on the Pipeline Show as we continue on with our NCAA National Tournament uh, preview. We go from the Northeast Regional to the West Regional in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, my guest who has set up the regional 
Games is uh, probably one of the best, well, not probably, one of the best analysts, whether it's uh, in-studio or uh, color analysts, uh, working hockey games today. Dave Starman from the CBS Sports Network and uh, also with ESPN. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Dave, how are you? Oh, always good to be back with you, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing terrific. Uh, looking forward to some exciting games this weekend. And uh, we got to start with St. Cloud State. You've got St. Cloud State taking on AIC as well as uh, Denver and Ohio State. We'll get to that matchup in a second. But you look at St. Cloud State, number one ranked team going uh, into the region, but into the uh, national tournament period. Uh, on paper, this should be a whitewash and, and not even close. But American International, you can't look past them either. It's a, In a one-game do-or-die, anything can happen. Uh, first off, though, tell me about St. Cloud State and how they look coming in. They are really good. They're really deep. They're really active and they're really quick, and that's probably the best way to describe them. And they've got some depth. Now that Kevin Fitzgerald is back in the lineup and playing from an injury earlier in the season, it gives Brett Larson a lot of luxury down the middle because Fitzgerald can can play in the middle on a third line if he needed to, but he can also slot into their top six, as we saw last weekend with the injury to Ryan Paling, and, and he did a great job between the Paling twins when Ryan wasn't there. And you, know, you get the the big line with Robbie Jackson. And Blake Lazat and Patrick Newell, I mean, that's a really good scoring line. All three of those guys can score. It's a tremendous puck protection line. And, you know, the neat thing about that line is with the speed and skill of Lazat and Newell, and remember, they're both about 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, with the speed and skill of those two guys and the really good puck protection skills they have, they tend to put Robbie Jackson in front of the net or near the net when they can, which creates a four-on-four in the offensive zone. So that gives them more space to work with. And that makes it even more dangerous. It's really fun to watch when they do it because of how effective it can be opening up lanes and seams to the net. So they've, they've got some offensive dynamic. they got what I think is, if not the best defenseman in the country, he is certainly in the team picture, and that's Jimmy Schultz. And he and John Lazat form a really formidable first pair. Uh, Lazat is really good at letting Schultz play his game and then taking care of the back end. And, and they're both really good at getting back to get pucks and getting pucks out and you know, when you when you take a look at St. Cloud, they've got a couple of different dimensions. Number one is, I think they're as good as any team in the country that I've seen, and I've seen 45 of them. Mm-hmm. I think they're as good as any team in the nation in terms of getting back and breaking pucks out. I don't care what defensive pair it is, they're really good at doing it, whether it's the kids or the vets. It's one of their strengths. They get out of their zone really quickly, and they, and they, and they don't waste a lot of time having to chip hucks off walls and chase, and that's where their skill comes in. Number two is, they're a center lane team, meaning that they create a lot of offense in the middle of the ice, they can bump off to either wing to keep defensemen honest, and they're not very predictable on the offensive side. And number three is they've just got real good skill up front, whether it be a Ryan Paling or a Robbie Jackson or a Kevin Fitzgerald or, or a Patrick Gould or a Blake Lazon. I mean, they can come at you with a really good top nine. Their fourth line's great. And to me, that is what separates them from a lot of teams that are competing for a national championship. Dave, you mentioned the injury to Ryan Paling. Uh, I, the last I saw was that he's questionable, and I know teams will be really forthcoming uh, at this time of year about injury updates. Uh, what do you know about uh, Ryan Paling? Is he going to go this weekend, do you think? Hey, here's what I can tell you. I know a lot that I can't say. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I know. Enough. But uh, but, but uh, I, I'm waiting for St. Cloud to, to make their announcement as to what he can do. I know he practiced this week, and, and that was that was a good thing. And I saw him a little bit in the bowels of, of the XL Center last week, the day after the injury, and he was up and moving around and, and that kind of thing. So I, I, I think that St. Cloud will give him every opportunity to play, but I mean, I couldn't tell you for sure if he is. Okay. The other side of the rink uh, has uh, AIC into the tournament. 
uh, and uh, first time they've ever won their conference. Um, tell me about this club and, and uh, some of the players that we should expect uh, to uh, lead the attack for the Yellow Jackets. Here is, I'll start the story this way. Their head coach played junior for me back in the mid-90s. And I remember when he tried out, and I remember we were picking that team, and we were deciding you know, on some of our bottom three guys. And all I know is I remember this discussion. Myself and my other coach said, I don't know where we're going to put him, but we're not getting rid of him. And that was Eric Lang. And that's the way he spent his career. He was always a guy that was a little bit on the fringe. He was from the Bronx, New York, which is not really known for producing many hockey players. And he just was a sponge. And it's become the M.O. of his coaching career. And he has paid his dues. He is a tremendous hockey guy, whether it be coaching clinics, whether it be picking the brains of other coaches, no matter what he needed to do to get ahead. And, he, and he's a tremendous recruiter. He's a tremendous relationships guy. And he's a hell of a coach. And He's got his team playing a lot like he played. They play, they play fast. They play hard. They, they've got a combination of size and speed and skill, which a lot of AIC teams in the past didn't have. So they're not one-dimensional where they used to be, hey, they play really hard, and they're just really hard to play against. Now they've got guys that can make plays, whether it be Pike or McBride or, or Capcheck on the back end. They've, they've really got some guys that can go. Their goaltending is stable. And I like what they bring. I mean, they're going to run into a buzzsaw, and they're going to run into a team that is so on a mission, whose slogan is unfinished business, starting from their loss to Ferris State four years ago in the, in the national or in the regional semifinal. I mean, the seniors haven't forgotten that one yet. Hmm. And the, you combine the Air Force loss last year, and they were a bit of a mental mess last year because of the whole Moscow going to Minnesota thing starting to float the day of their game. Hmm. I, I think they're a much more focused team, and they're probably a little more deep than they were at this point last year, and they've got the perfect coach to suit their personality. So I, I, I love what AIC has done. I just They are just going to have their hands full with a team that is playing with a cause, and anytime you play against a team with a cause, I think it's trouble. Well, St. Cloud State's uh, power play is so good, their penalty kill is pretty good as well. For AIC to have any chance, they got to keep it 5-on-5? Five five? There, there's absolutely no question, and to, to that point, you know, AIC's got a pretty good power play themselves. This this kid Capcheck, the defenseman, he's nimble. He can move pucks around. Christensen off the left-wing side can be very interchangeable with anybody else on the ice. So they, they bring you a dimension that you, you really have to be sharp in your coverage. And while St. Cloud has got speed and discipline and a really well-coached, AIC's got the potential to get on the man advantage to, to strike and keep this game close. St. Cloud State is not a team that takes a ton of penalties. They're really disciplined. But my feeling is this. Here, here's my thought, because it's human nature. If AIC gets this game to the third period as a one-shot game or even tied, then that thought of here we go again mm-hmm. is potentially a factor. Now, I think they're mentally stronger than that, and I'm talking about St. Cloud, but it's only human nature to sit there and think, hey, we're in a game that we shouldn't be in right now. Who's going to make a big play? And that, to me, is a little bit of a subplot going into this. Dave Starman from uh, CBS Sports Network and uh, games that you'll see in the uh, tournament and on ESPN as well as we get close to the Frozen Four. He's my guest. Uh, let's move to Ohio State versus Denver. And uh, for me, in all of the games on opening weekend here, this might be uh, the one that has my interest the most. Re- two really good teams moving forward. Uh, interesting matchup. Uh, tell me about Ohio State. I mean, they at the start of the year, we were talking about these guys. They were in the Frozen Four last year. Could very well get back there again. Uh, what's making the Buckeyes click this season? 
I think a couple of things. First of all, they are they're an older team, and I love the philosophy of building a team where your seniors are going to stay. You're not necessarily going after that A plus kid, but you're getting a lot of A's and A minuses and B pluses that you're making into players. So you build this real good core group that can matriculate together and create a culture. And you know they've been on the big stage for the last couple of years. This will be their third straight year in the tournament. It's only happened once before. And that's when J.B. Bittner, one of their assistant coaches, was a player there. Hmm. And so they, they've, they've got that same taste in their mouth that Minnesota Duluth had when they got all the way to the Frozen Four and lost to Denver. It's, we've been there. We understand it. We were really close. We let it get away. And like I talked about St. Cloud being on a mission and having a cause, this Ohio State group is in that same boat. And I think one of the things that's got them there is – Got a couple of defensemen that can really pop the puck up ice pretty quick. And they've got some forwards that can make plays. Tanner Lazinski was on their World Junior team a couple of years ago that won a gold medal. He has been a really serviceable player. Sasha LaRock on the back end has been a monster for them. And, and, and what Sasha can do real well, much like I just talked about Jimmy Schultz, he's another guy that can go back, get a puck, move it up ice. He can either distribute it and get it back, or he can hold to try to make a play. Ohio State's a little bit more of a wide lane team where they'll get a double drive to the net and they'll get their trailers involved. That really has been the been a good defensive form in that respect, and they're disciplined. And that's one thing that Steve Rollick has wanted. You know, their 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 penalty killing is clicking at the right time. They're not taking the penalties like like they had it earlier part of the season. For them, I think their concern right now is their power play. They're they're getting some looks, but they're not getting the finish. It's been streaky for them, and I think that that is an area where getting into this situation where it's a one off, they need to make sure that that clicks because when it does, they become a much different team. Well, on the other side is uh, the Denver Pioneers, and you, boy, the first thing that jumps out at me is the power play. How bad it's been! Only fifteen point five percent with the pa- the man advantage for the Pioneers. How is it that bad? That's a pretty good lineup. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you one thought on why their power play, and I don't like to use the word bad. It's just not been scoring, and one of the reasons is look at the conference they're playing in. I mean, mm-hmm. you're playing against teams on a consistent basis whose power plays are really, really good. I sorry, those penalty kills are really good. So, so that could be one factor. They they don't they don't necessarily have the dimension that they had last year, where you could put Dylan Gambrell, Troy Terry, and Henrik Borkstrom on the ice together, mm-hmm. or two years ago when when Will Butcher was quarterback in the power play. I mean, they 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 have lost some key components, but when we take a look at some of the talent they have, Ian Mitchell played for Team Canada at the World Junior Tournament. I think the role of Ian Mitchell as a player, he is he is a really good playmaker. He's a really good distributor. And he's a legit power play quarterback. I, I think one of the things where Denver's run into is they have just not gotten a lot of pucks to the net, and they're a little undersized up front. So, so there are times where you get into those net front battles or those one-on-one battles on the wall when you get numbers on the puck. Some of the bigger defense cores in the NCHC have been able to, to, to outmuscle some of their smaller forwards. I, I think that this is not a power play to take lightly. And the other part of it is this. They're now going up against a team who has not played against their power play. You can watch it all you want but to play against it and figure out the nuances of what your opponent wants to do live and on the ice, it creates a little bit of a different dynamic. So for me, I think if Denver gets some early power play opportunities and gets a good feel, it may change the luck of their power play because they have been getting looks. They're just not scoring. Uh, that's a good point. Tell me about the goaltending matchup between these two clubs. Uh, who's the, is there an advantage one way or the other? It's really unique because – both Ohio State and Denver have used all four goalies, yeah. and and with success, Romeo got into the Frozen Four last year, and and has been 
has been good, and and the other kids have been playing well too. And when you look at Denver, you know, Larson and Cooley have have both been solid at different times. Larson has taken the net more recently, and you know, Larson's a guy that he's fun to watch. He's smooth, and he's got a great lateral release. He covers the crease well. He hits his marks. He can handle a puck when it gets dumped in to break a four check, and he can move it to a D. I, I think that he's just he's a really cool customer who does not let a lot of rebounds go, and he's extremely competitive on the puck. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him in, in this kind of big setting because I like what he has done through the last half of the year coming off an injury early on. Dave Starman from CBS Sports Network, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. All right, Dave, that's the uh, – the uh, Western Regional in Fargo, uh, we're going to end it with a, a prediction, and that's uh, going back to 2006. One of the number one seeds going into the Regionals has lost out every year in the first round. Actually, it happened two teams last year uh, with uh, St. Cloud, and uh, now I'm forgetting the other first uh, seed, number one seed that went down last year. But if it were to happen this year, the number one seeds uh, going in, St. Cloud State, uh, Massachusetts, Minnesota State, and uh, Minnesota Duluth, is there uh, a team that you think could stumble in the first round this, this year if it were to happen again? Let's let's set this up for the audience this way. Unlike the men's basketball tournament where the one seed is playing the 16 seed, which could be the 64th seed overall right. in, in, in the big dance, it's not like that in college hockey. The one plays the four, and a lot of times those fours might be three or four wins behind where the one was or might have had a hiccup early but came on late or had to win their conference tournament to get in. Those fours are not pushovers by any means. So I don't think any time a four beats a one, yeah, it's an upset. And last year with Air Force beating St. Cloud, big upset. Or Holy Cross beating Minnesota, big upset. Yeah. But they're not as big as you think they are because those teams are closer. That being said, I think going back to a couple of years ago when Providence for the national title, they got Miami. Miami was a one, having won the NCHC. Providence came in as a four. The game was played in Providence in front of a crazy Providence crowd, and Providence used that to win one of the wildest games I have ever watched in the 16 years I've been doing this. So if anybody is really walking into the line now, it's Minnesota State. And just for the dynamic of playing as a one seed against a team playing with house money right now in their own home city, I think Minnesota State's the team that could have their hands full in a 1-4 in a matchup. Excellent. And going back to your basketball analogy for the, uh, the big NCAA basketball tournament, this, for hockey, it's, it's much like just starting at the Sweet 16, isn't it? And that's exactly what I keep telling people. It's, everybody says, oh my God, a four beat a one. You know, how could that possibly happen? Maybe that one was overrated. Like, and like we talked about, I mean, there could be four wins separating a one and a four on any given regional. And, and the parody in college hockey is there. And the way different programs have built their programs, it's you could have won it with a one seed. I mean, for example, let's say Michigan's a one seed. Mm-hmm. Michigan's always got a young team, right? I mean, they look at 18, 19 year olds, a lot of high end kids, but there's not a lot of veteran leadership because most of the veterans, if they're already good, are gone. Yeah. So you look at a young team that could be a one. They could run into a Minnesota Duluth as a four, who's got a bunch of 23, 24 year olds who understand how to play, got sophistication, got savvy, bigger, older, stronger, faster. They're men. And all of a sudden, a bunch of kids run into this men's team, and they lose. And it's not that unpredictable based on the dynamic of 18- to 19-year-olds playing against 22-, 23-, 24-year-olds. So that's where sometimes that 4-1 upset thing 
can be a little misleading when you look at a big picture with all of the dynamics factored in. Dave, great stuff as always. Uh, looking forward to the games this weekend. Maybe we'll chat before the Frozen Four. Would love to. Thanks for having me on and talking college hockey as always. There you go. He's the best. Dave Starman from CBS Sports Network and uh, ESPN as well. You always hear him, see, see him, see and hear him on uh, the NHL Network at World Junior Time as well, doing all the uh, USA games. Anyway, that was the uh, West Regional, my picks, and I have put them out on Twitter now. I said that I would, and I did. I signed up uh, for both the College Hockey News and the USCHO uh, Bracket Challenge. Uh, my West Regional, St. Cloud and AIC, I took St. Cloud. Uh, between Denver and Ohio State, I'm taking the Pioneers in a uh, somewhat, maybe a, a mild upset. Uh, with St. Cloud and Denver facing off the all-NCHC uh, final in that regional, I do have the Huskies moving on. As much as I would like to vote for Ian Mitchell, the Callahoo kid, I think the Huskies are pretty darn good this year and deserving of that number one ranking. So I'm going with the Huskies to get to the Frozen Four, where they'll take on UMass. The next regional on the show to preview is the East Regional. That features Minnesota State and Providence. Cornell against Northeastern. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO coming up next here on the Pipeline Show. Into the corner, Gutman gives it back. Solo shoots, scores! Next Solo with a dart power play goal. Tank back to the lead. This is Zach Solo of the Dubuque Fighting Saints, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. One foot on the brake and one on the gas. The Saints are back in the AJHL North Division Finals, taking on their Highway 16 rival, the Sherwood Park Crusaders. The series will shift to Spruce Grove on Monday and Tuesday for games three and four at seven o'clock down at the Grant Fear Arena. As always, pick up your tickets at the Saints box office on game day or anytime at www.tickets.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. John Turkey is a little over the line, my man. Back on the Pipeline Show, and let's kick off the NCAA Tournament preview uh, by looking at the uh, two games, the four teams that are uh, playing in Providence. And uh, that uh, part of the bracket gets going on Saturday. It's the East Regional. Uh, the four teams that are featured, Minnesota State, the number one ranked team, will be going against uh, Providence, basically a home game for them. We'll get to that in a second. And uh, Northeastern will play Cornell. And my uh, guest to uh, set up this uh, part of the bracket is Jimmy Conley from USCHO. Jimmy, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Getting ready for this weekend. How's things? Uh, things are great. I mean, this time of year, how can they be bad? You're seeing the best hockey. And, I mean, last week's conference tournaments proved that out. Now we get to go into a regional. I think it's just going to be even better hockey. So I, I love this time of year. Let's start with the fact Providence is playing basically a home game again. And, well, not basically. They are playing a home game. And it's, uh, the Friars are the number four team in this, uh, this regional. How does this happen? Well, it's, it's, it's really attendance. You know, you, you want to keep a team like Providence that close, even though they're not the host team. Brown is the host team. If they had just, if they would just bid to host these regionals, which takes a lot of effort and they don't have the size of athletic department maybe to, to do it, but they'd automatically be placed there. They're not the host team. 
Um, so technically they don't have to be placed there, but when you really think about it in the logistics of the NCAAs, and they've got to move a lot of teams around to make this tournament happen, and there's a lot of expenses, and you've got to cover some of those expenses with attendance. And, um, you know, I know it probably feels like a big disadvantage to Minnesota State, but I also think that, you know, you've been around hockey long enough for teams to be more motivated when they're in front of hostile crowds. And I wouldn't be surprised if they take that approach. And it's the approach they kind of have to take. But, you know, in terms of how they, how it happens, I think it just has to. Logistically, this, you know, the, the, one of the mandates of the committee is to make sure that you protect the gate, that you don't – imagine if Providence was playing in, in say, Fargo – and you've got a regional in their hometown, and you have no fans at it. It just wouldn't make sense. Well, that begs the question, why do they do it like this, So where they have it in what's supposedly neutral sites? Maybe if they should just be playing them in places where there aren't college hockey to begin with, like Kansas City or something like that. Um, but uh, then, I guess you, then I guess you have no attendance. But Yeah, those experiments have been tried, um, you know, and they've played in uh, St. Louis, I believe, and it was, uh, a bit of a failure and you know they've gone to some cities you know allentown pennsylvania is not very close to any team except really penn state penn state hasn't made the tournament that place could be a bit of a ghost town uh this weekend so it, you'd rather have some environment than none mm-hmm. it, the one question that you could be left with is why don't they play these games on a campus site right and just let the host the top team host all four teams go to that one region, and there's just logistical problems with that. And then you also have, you know, what what happens if you have a top seed that has only 2,000 seats in the building? How do you handle that when you, you know, you're trying to give out at least 500 tickets to every school? Where do the general fans fit in? So it's it's just it's been a logistical um, question for the NCAA and the Ice Hockey Committee for um, yeah, basically a few years now. Um, that they just, you know, nobody has figured it out. And a big problem comes that not a lot of places apply to host this tournament either. Mm. You know, you're talking about having your Midwest region in eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's about as far away from the Midwest as you can get. But when only two teams apply to host, that's a problem. And and talking with people on the committee and their chair, Steve Metcalf, he says that the next round of bids, they've been a little bit more aggressive of going after cities and asking them to bid. But a lot goes into it. You've got to find a, a host school that will partner with you or at least some sort of a sports authority that will, you know, fund some of the money. If, the, you know, there's money that has to be made up if you don't make a certain amount of money in attendance. So there's just a lot of liability, I guess you'd say, for, for those who decide to host. And that's what kind of creates some of these smaller problems. All right, let's get to the hockey itself. Uh, that the first game on Saturday will be Minnesota State and Providence, and uh, when the puck drops, I don't know that home ice will make a, a whole ton of difference or not. You, you seem to think that maybe the Mavericks will uh, rise to the occasion. Tell me why uh, Minnesota State should be, in your mind, at least uh, be favored in this game, or how do you see it? Well, I mean, they, you know, they've had so much success, and they've just found a way to win everything that's been out there this year, and you know, tight games not so tight games. They've really been, um, I think rolling in the second half. They played some very good hockey. Um, they've beaten some good teams, you know, I, and, and they have what it takes. I mean, they have a lot of goal scoring. Uh, Michaelis and Toomey up front are, you know, both either 40 point guys or Toomey's 39. He'll get, you know, chance to get there this weekend. And on the back end, you've got 
two goaltenders, and I know that uh, McKay, Dryden McKay, is the guy that they seem to be going with. You know, both both he and uh, Matthias Israelson both have a 1.65 goals against average. That is outstanding when you're thinking your team defense is basically giving up a little more than a goal and a half a game. That's a pretty big advantage. And uh, they're doing a lot of things right right now. And if they're going to get past Providence, and that's a big if because, you know, Providence has a lot of talent. Um, They're going to have to do it with getting the timely scoring and making sure they can shut down a Providence team that when it gets going can score a lot of goals. Well, Minnesota State won 10 more games this year than Providence did. They uh, score slightly more. Their power play, their penalty kill, both slightly better uh, than Providence. Yet the Friars are going to be a good team. That Maybe that home ice comes in, in into play for them. Give me the argument why Providence moves on. Well, I think they're, you know, desperation in the NCAA tournament is a good thing. And they're desperate to prove that this season was not a lost season. Um, they didn't win the regular season title. Um, they fell very short of UMass, as everybody did in Hockey East. Um, they get the number two seed in the tournament and then are, you know, uh, seconds away from sweeping Boston College, lose game two in overtime, and then lose game three, and they're suddenly out of the Hockey East tournament. Now, have they ever been in that position before? And the answer is yes. And they had to sit there in 2015 and wait and figure out if they were going to make the tournament. They were the last team in, and it took a lot of math on the last night to get them in, but they were the last team into the tournament. Then they played the number one seed, Miami, in Providence in front of a pretty raucous crowd that year because that was the first time in a while that Providence had been able to play a game, an NCAA game at home. And, of course, if we remember it all, they then went out to win that whole regional, uh, beat Boston University in the national title game, win their only national title. So this is a path that they're familiar with. And, I, you know, knowing late Nate Lehman very well, he's going to try to use the loss two weekends ago to motivate this team. Um, the, the one, the one big question for them is goaltending. And you get to think of that 2015 team having John Gillies and that's a great goaltender. And Hayden Hockey has been good, solid, but as he goes, kind of this team goes. So when he's playing well, the team's usually winning. When he's not playing well, though, you know, you have a lot of question marks. All right. Well, we'll look for that game on Saturday. The other game, the later game. A season at Northeastern going up against the Big Red of Cornell. Now, Cornell a little bit banged up, my understanding. Uh, a question mark potentially with uh, Matt Goleta, their netminder? Yeah, and I am you know, was told yesterday that he's highly doubtful, which mm. would leave Austin McGrath, who's only started, I believe. He has results in seven games. He's played in 11, but a 4-2-1 and one record. Um, you know, his numbers are solid, and I'm sure if you're a Mike Schaefer uh, player and your goaltender, he's always had some of the best goaltenders. So backup net mining shouldn't be something that concerns this team. But McAlider is, you know, one of the better goaltenders in the country and one of the, you know, players that you know can be, you know, a game changer. So I don't know how much that will factor in. He was injured last Saturday night. That's a quick turnaround. And, and it's, uh, you know, talking to some people, in the last couple of days, it sounds doubtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and without so without him, maybe that changes the complexion of this game. But you know, it's still Cornell still possesses a lot of characteristics of the traditional Cornell teams: big, heavy, 
physical, and that doesn't always match up that well for Northeastern. You know, the Northeastern is used to playing fast. They don't like to get into too much of a physical game. They can do it if they have to, but that's not exactly the place that uh, I, I think they excel. So, uh, you know, Cornell could still use their physical presence, and you never know what kind of a uh, goaltending effort you're going to get from a player who's you know basically starting maybe his eighth game of the season. Well, the uh, head-to-head matchup, Northeastern scores more, but they give up more. Uh, their uh, power play isn't nearly as good as, as Cornell's has been this season, and their penalty kill isn't as good as uh, what Cornell has iced this year. So is there a bit of a statistical advantage potentially here for Cornell? I know Northeastern is on such a run, though, this year. they they got to be feeling pretty confident going into this one. And, and they are, Guy. You know, in, in talking to Jim Madigan yesterday, he feels um, – extremely confident in this team and especially their ability to maybe win some of those tight close games that you that they've lost. I mean they lost a heartbreaker to Michigan last last year in the NCAA tournament a one goal game and I think you know he believes his team if they were put in that position again can find a way to come out on the other side of it uh, one of their I don't want to say problems but one of the things that they have tended to do in the last few weeks is put themselves behind and chasing the game uh, they had to come back in the third period last uh, Friday night in the Hockey semifinals against Boston University. Uh, they had a really hard-fought series against Maine where they just could never seem to put it away, and it took overtime one night and then uh, hanging on by a thread the second night. And you know they, ha- but I guess in Jim Madigan's words, he feels like that um, will make his team more confident. He said he he's his exact words. He said coming out of that locker room on Friday night. We had all the confidence in the world we were going to win that game, and they did. Confidence is is one of those things that you just can't – players just don't have it. It's something you have to learn. You just have to learn by the experience of doing and having success, and thus far they've had it. And Like you said, this is the hottest team or one of the hotter teams, Northeastern teams that's come into this tournament, and they seem to balance it better than last year's club that had that really big line um, with Secura and uh, Stevens and Gaudet. So this team has a little bit more balance. I, I feel like that really makes them a better candidate for this tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, you just have to see how they come out. I think that the first 10 minutes on, on Saturday will be a big difference maker for Northeastern. Notable Canadians involved in this game for both teams. Jeremy Davies leads Northeastern in scoring. Morgan Barron leads at Cornell in scoring. Tyler Madden having such a great a freshman season for the Huskies as well. And uh, don't forget Caden Primo in net for Northeastern could be a difference maker there. Uh, all right. Uh, we, I told you ahead of time that the, the only prediction I'm going to get from you is that uh, from since 2006, I believe it is, a number one ranked team in one of the regionals has uh, bowed out in the first round. If that were to happen this year, which team do you think it would be? The, uh, the four number ones, just uh, for the audience's sake, St. Cloud, UMass, Minnesota State and Minnesota, uh, yeah, Minnesota Duluth. Uh, of those four, if it were to happen, which uh, which team do you think it is? So I'll I'll say that I don't. This feels like the one year that that trend could break. If it's going to happen, I don't see St. Cloud and I don't see Duluth losing. They're just too strong right now. I mean, my bracket, I have them playing for the national title. That's so how I. Uh, strong I think both of those teams are. Um, UMass. A possibility just because they don't have the experience and experience matters. And you kind of saw it last Friday night at the garden when they lost to BC, they just didn't look like a team that had been on that stage before. 
Um, but I'm just going to, you know, kind of go with the chalk and say if there's going to be one team, it's probably going to be Minnesota State playing on the road. I know I've just, you know, spouted on for three minutes about how <laughs> it's not necessarily that home ice of a home ice for Providence. It's not like it's on their campus. But, you know, it's Minnesota State has had a, a tough time sometimes, you know, living up to the expectations of this tournament. And Providence, I just go back to that 2015 team, how hungry they came out in that NCAA regional and, and what it meant to them afterwards. I feel like they have that ability here. I feel like they've been arguably the best team I've watched in hockey East all year. And I, that means I've watched, you know, UMass equally as much. I feel like they're a better team, Providence is. So I guess if I'd have to pick it, Providence could do it. I still like a lot about the way Minnesota State comes into the tournament playing. Jimmy, great uh, setup for this weekend. Really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the hockey. Yeah, you too, Keith. Thanks so much. That was a good friend of the show, longtime contributor here on the Pipeline Show. His name is Jimmy Connolly from USCHO.com. That was the East Regional Preview. Those four teams, Minnesota State taking on Providence, Cornell against Northeastern. My bracket have Providence winning the uh, the upset in the first round, which would uh, answer my poll question this week. Which of the four number one seeds do I have bowing out in the first round this year, if it happens? I went with Minnesota State. So the Providence Friars move on to play the uh, Huskies of Northeastern. I have beating Cornell. I thought hard about Cornell maybe pulling the upset, but w- with Matt Goleta out or not expected to play, I am uh, leaning towards Northeastern. They are pretty hot uh, going in and probably should be the team that gets to the Frozen Four. However, I am picking the Friars in a uh, upset, double upset, as the number four seed to get to the Frozen Four. The final regional to preview is the Midwest Regional from that Midwest state of Pennsylvania. Allentown, Pennsylvania hosting this regional. It features the defending champion University of Minnesota Duluth taking on Bowling Green. Arizona State going up against Quinnipiac or Quinnipiac or Quinnipiac. However you pronounce it, they're one of the four teams involved. Adam Woden from College Hockey News. He's my guest to set the stage. That's next here on the Pipeline Show. Minnesota Duluth gets it again. Tynan goes out of there on a terrific ball. Third power play of the game for the Bulldogs. Fontaine dropped it in the middle. Great pass. Conley scores! Mike Conley power play goal! Somebody shut the door! Ladies and gentlemen, from Calgary, Alberta, Mike Conley, University of Minnesota Duluth National Championships 2011, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. You babes all about your Madison shoes We got a thing we call the Madison Blues We do the Madison Blues We do the Madison Blues We do the Madison Blues, baby Rock away blues Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. 
Last regional to uh, set up is the Midwest Regional. And, uh, of course, the, when I think of the Midwest of the United States, first thing that comes to mind is uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, my guest to uh, set up this uh, region is uh, Adam Wodham from College Hockey News. Uh, Adam, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How does this happen that uh, the Midwest Regional is uh, going on the East Coast? <laughs> well... I guess Allentown's not technically the coast, but it's close enough, I suppose, if you're out there in Canada somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, because the NCAA can only put regionals in places that bid on them. And it's very difficult to draw a crowd in a lot of Midwestern arenas. Some of them have tried. And so they just kind of stopped trying a lot of them. And I think Allentown was the only place that actually put in a bid. So there you go. That's the location. All right. Well, the four teams, uh, mid, uh, Minnesota Duluth, defending national champions, they'll be taking on Bowling Green. And then you've got the Cinderella story, Arizona State Sun Devils, going up against uh, Quinnipiac. Uh, let's start with the defending champs in Minnesota Duluth. Uh, now, their game against the Falcons of Bowling Green, uh, it is the first one of the day, correct? Yes, it is. They're the 4 o'clock game right. uh, Eastern time uh, on Saturday. Let's look at it from the the – perspective of the Bulldogs, they've got to be the favorite, I would have to think, going not just to do this game, but to come out of this region. Oh, yeah. Um, why are they so good? Boy, you know, heavy favorites for sure, obviously defending national champions, and they've had a great regular season. The only reason why they weren't in first place uh, in the NCH is because they're maybe, you know, teams slightly better uh, nationally. I mean, them and St. Cloud were 1-2 nationally and in the league, but they just beat St. Cloud in the NCH tournament final. In overtime, they have a great head coach in Scott Sandlin, who, uh, you know, the team was playing a little bit of a short bench uh, this past weekend. There was some guys uh, guys got hurt during the game, and Sandlin really pulled a lot of great strings to uh, keep, just keep his team in the game after it was not looking good early on. So uh, that, you know, you got Hunter Shepard, the goaltender. They have the experience from last year winning the title. They won every game last year by one goal. It was, uh, you know, a very – a situation where they just seem to be able to pull out games left and right, and that carried over this year. Obviously, they've got a talented roster with guys like Scott Perunovich, Mikey Anderson, guys who are going to be NHL players. And so, you know, Noah Cates, he's one of the guys that's been banged up. But, uh, you know, there's just so much there. Bowling Green has come off a devastating loss in the uh, WCHA tournament championship game. Uh, they were up two goals late two late goals, lost in overtime. I mean, you know, the first time they were in the tournament in 29 years, and it was like they were just so depressed after the game. I felt bad because they couldn't even enjoy the fact they finally made the NCAA that they're all these years. They've, they've been close many times in recent years. So, you know, they have uh, some talent on that team, and I, I think if they won that game, we'd be looking at this a lot differently but because of the way they, they lost that game and then they've had some weird losses during the season, you almost look at it like, oh, you know, if it's a close game, you know, Minnesota Duluth just has so much experience in those kind of games and Bowling Green has not yet proven it can win the big game like that. I love the tail of the tape page that you guys have uh, that sets up the head-to-head matchup uh, for each game all season long, but it really comes in uh, handy at this time of year. Um, now, when I look at that, the head-to-head between these two teams – both clubs won 25 games. Bowling Green scored more goals this year than Minnesota Duluth, which actually surprised me quite a bit. Um, the power play, though, the Bulldogs have the better power play. Penalty kill is, is in favor of Bowling Green. But how much of this comes down to quality of the conference that each team plays in? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. And I'm not, you know, I don't say that to knock anybody. I mean, it just is what it is, just factual. And, uh, you know, Minnesota who's playing in a conference that's won the national championship the last three years and have the top two teams going into it this year. So it's pretty hard to argue with that. That You know, the quality of competition they face night in and night out. Um, you know, they, one of the losses they had this year is when half their team basically was at the World Juniors. Yeah. So, you know, you look at it that way. And, uh, you know, Bowling Green, though, has been a solid team. I mean, they've had some good wins this year. Uh, beat Ohio State. You know, they've beaten Minnesota State as well. So, you know, it's not like they're slouches. Believe me, I think they're legitimately an NCAA tournament team. But it is a little different. Now, these two clubs hardly ever play against each other. I think the last time was... Back in 2007, I believe. Also, something I'm picking up from uh, from your website. So, not a lot of history between these two clubs. We'll see how it all shakes out on Saturday. The other uh, matchup uh, features uh, Quinnipiac, the Bobcats, who have been somewhat of a regular uh, appearance uh, participant in the national tournament here the last uh, number of years, going up against first-timers Arizona State, the Sun Devils. Such a great story this year to see an independent get into the national tournament. Is this where it ends, though, for Arizona State on paper? Does not look like a great matchup for them, but you can never count them out. No. And as my uh, colleague Joe Maloney likes to say, if you have a 930 save percentage goalie, you can do just about anything. So that is what Arizona State has in Joey Decord, and that has been huge. That guy is a legit prospect. Of course, Quinnipiac has also Andrew Shortridge, who has similar numbers, although he's done it in less time and facing less shots than uh, the Cord will face on a regular basis. Uh, you know, the thing is, Arizona State's a great story. They do have, I mean, you know, they have a legit scorer in Johnny Walker, great name. They have uh, a legit defenseman. I mean, this is the year of the defenseman in college hockey, all these puck-rushing guys in the, in the uh, Hobie, candidate, uh, Hobie candidates and, and NHL prospects. And mm-hmm. Arizona State has one themselves in Brinson, Peshish, and, and, you know, those are three legit players. I mean, that, that means you can be competitive any game. So it, it wouldn't shock me if they won the game. I mean, Quinnipiac is a good team. You know, the only weird thing here is Arizona State hasn't played in a month because they're not in a conference. They weren't in a conference tournament. So, you know, I don't know what that's going to mean. I mean, I guess if they win, we'll say the rest helped them. If they lose, we'll say the rest hurt them. So, uh, But the funny thing is Quinnipiac's best player Chase Prisky also hasn't played in a month because he was out for two games. The only two games Quinnipiac was in in the ECAC tournament for suspension. So he hasn't played. So, you know, that's a factor too. And uh, Quinnipiac's banged up on defense with uh, their second best defenseman out for the year, Brandon Fortunato. So I think it's, it, it, it's going to be closer than people might think. And again, it wouldn't shock me. Now, Arizona State's had some pretty pretty good wins this year, um, not necessarily against any of the tournament teams, um, but teams that are just outside the tournament. I mean, they've won a bunch of games against, against those kind of teams, so you know they'll be competitive. Uh, and and Quinnipiac, like I said, coming off that ECAC tournament series loss when they did not have Prisky in the lineup, and so who knows how that plays in, into this year? And uh, they got to get their their mojo back together. Well, even though Arizona State hasn't been around all that long, at least at the Division One level, these two teams have actually played each other a lot over the last few years. Not necessarily yeah. not this season, but a couple of times in each of the last two or three years. That familiarity, does it, is it an advantage for either club, though? Yeah, well, that's an interesting point because the reason for that is because Rand Pecknall, the Quinnipiac coach, 
made fast friends with Greg Powers, the Arizona State coach. I mean, you know, Greg Powers was a club coach for Arizona State. When they made the move to Division One, they decided to keep him on mm-hmm. rather than just gassing him and finding a so-called experienced Division One coach. So he was looking around for, you know, people – kind of be his mentor a little bit and I think Rand took him under his wing at the you know coaches meetings and stuff like that and so they became friends and they wound up scheduling each other a lot but and so it's going to be interesting I mean I think that you know Arizona State has learned a lot from from Quinnipiac and Rand uh, built that program there so you know it, they, there's there's a lot of familiarity I don't know I mean I suppose that kind of thing would it would always help the underdog a little bit yeah maybe it does uh all right the last question, uh, we're only going to look at those two games in the regional, uh, and uh, we'll end it with uh, the, another question, something else uh, that it, uh, I got by reading uh, College Hockey News. Every year since 2006, a number one seed has gone out in the first round. Those number one seeds this year, St. Cloud, UMass, Minnesota State, and Minnesota Duluth. If it were to happen again this year, and it's unlikely, but it's been unlikely every year, but it seems to be happening every year. Of those four teams, who do you think it would be this year if it happens? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's not even likely that one will happen, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's been more than one. And I think you can make a case for almost any of them except for Duluth. I mean, you know, obviously St. Cloud playing American International, that's going to be tough. But St. Cloud did lose their force last year. Right. So you never know. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Uh, Minnesota State playing Providence at Providence, basically. So, that that becomes a road game there. Plus, Minnesota State has never won an NCAA tournament game. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are looking to that one. But, you know, and I hate to say this because UMass has been a great story all year, and uh, it's not that I necessarily trust Harvard who they're playing, but the uh, Adam fox Kale McCarr matchup, <laughs> you know, excuse me, uh, UMass did not look great in the uh, hockey's tournament game against Boston College. So... You know, if, if you're going to look anywhere, I, I would, I think I'm going to point to that. I mean, Harvard's got a dynamite power play with so many blue chippers on there. So if they stay out of the box, UMass has a much better chance. But take some penalties, uh, there you go. So, that, I mean, if I had to pick one, I'm picking them. But really, you know, nothing surprises me at this point. Awesome. Adam, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the hockey this weekend. You got it. Thanks, man. Adam Orton from College Hockey News rounding out the uh, guest list on the Pipeline show this week as he broke down and set up and uh, any other analogy you want to use. Looked at the Midwest Regional with Minnesota Duluth and Bowling Green. My pick, Minnesota Duluth. Arizona State against uh, Quinnipiac, the Bobcats. And uh, I'm actually going to go with Arizona State continuing the Cinderella run. And you know what? Complete homerism on my part. Brinson Pashnuk there, Tyler Bush there. So, yeah, sure, I'm going with uh, the former AJHL guys, but uh, I think it's a great story, and uh, as a media guy, I cheer for the story. So I'm taking ASU to upset Quinnipiac. However, I do have the Bulldogs running over ASU in the final of that regional and getting to the Frozen Four once again. So uh, I've put my picks out on Twitter, and I've done so uh, publicly here on the show. I want to hear from you, so let me know. At TPS underscore Gee, uh, your regionals and your outcomes uh, for the regionals, Who, which four teams you have getting to the Frozen Four. And I'm sure, listen, once this uh, weekend is over, we know who the four teams officially are in the Frozen Four. We'll get to, you know, the Frozen Four coaches show here on the program and, and all of that type of stuff, and we'll reassess and uh, uh, make predictions again. But it's fun to predict now who your, your entire bracket is. 
And uh, so I have uh, St. Cloud State and UMass meeting in one side, Providence and Duluth in the other. I have St. Cloud and Duluth meeting in the national championship game, and I have the Bulldogs repeating as national champions. That's my bracket. Tell me yours. That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Next week, there'll be uh, lots of CHL talk because we didn't do any uh, this week on the show outside of the updates in the uh, opening segment, Uh, but there'll be lots of uh, CHL talk next week. We'll also get into the Frozen Four. There might actually be two shows next week, maybe three shows in the next two weeks because the Frozen Four Coaches Show will be in there as well somewhere, and that might be a separate thing all on its own. We'll see how things unfold, but... Uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. And thanks to all four of my guests who uh, joined me today to set up the NCAA uh, National Tournament. The next episode, not that far away. So between now and then, get out, watch some junior or college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week here on the Pipeline Show. Till then, I'm Guy Flaming. See ya.